right, church family, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open it with me to the Gospel of John, and we're going to be in John chapter 19 today. And uh, I don't know about you, and I, I never like to call somebody out from the stage, but every now and then I do. But I do it in love, okay? But can, can we just affirm somebody today, if you don't mind? And I just want to affirm all those folks that work in our sound booth. Um, so, hey, thank you for what you guys do. Um, when things work smooth, we hardly ever say thank you. When they mess up, we, that's who we talk about at lunch, don't we? All right, y'all don't do that, but maybe the other churches do. But hey, we love y'all and thank y'all for, um, for what you do. I'm certainly glad everything came back on screen this morning because I'm like, what are we going to do if it doesn't? Uh, I can preach in the dark. I've done it before. But anyway, hey, one other thing before, you, before we get, we dive into the scriptures. Uh, there's some business cards that's going to be on the Welcome Center table. Uh, we'd love you to pick them up, and it does two things. One, it's a way for you to invite somebody to our Easter services. Um, in fact, if you're, if you're kind of shy and you don't want to actually say, hey, I'd love to invite you to our Easter services at First Baptist, what you could do as you pay your bill, just slip it in there, but leave a good tip, okay? Don't cheap them out. Leave a good tip and leave this in there in the little thingy there they give you that's got your bill in there. But then on the other side, it advertises March the 28th, next Sunday, is Comeback Sunday. So what we would love for you to do, and I'm speaking to a lot of you that are in Sunday school right now, small groups, your teachers, your outreach directors, or what have you. If you're in leadership in Sunday school, please help us get the word out. We'd love for everybody to be back in Sunday school next Sunday. You know, we, a lot of us have gotten our shots and stuff like that. People are coming back into church. So we're going to celebrate Comeback Sunday. And y'all know what Baptists are good at, right? That's eating. So if you get here early at around 8.30 in the foyer out there, we're going to have some, some juice, donuts, coffee, and all that stuff. So anyway, uh, advertise that with us. Come back Sunday. We have um, been in a sermon series called Words from the Cross, and we've been looking at the seven statements, the last words, if you will, that Jesus uttered when he was on the cross, dying on the cross for my sins and for yours. So we've been looking at these couple of words, these seven statements, if you will, the past couple of weeks. The first word, I called it a word of forgiveness. And in that message, as we looked at this word of forgiveness, Jesus, we just focused on the first statement that most theologians said that, or think that he said first, when he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Y'all ever been there? Not knowing what you're doing? The ones that nailed Jesus to the cross, Jesus not only is praying for them, but he's praying for us as well. Father, forgive them for they, they know not what they're doing. It's a word of forgiveness. And then the second week, the second Sunday we were in this series, it was a word of salvation, if you will. One that was nailed on the cross had what I like to think of as a deathbed confession. And in the very last moments of his life, he expressed his faith in Jesus. I've shared with you a personal testimony. I believe that's how my papa my mother's dad came to faith in Christ. Uh, as far as I could tell, lived like a hellion most of his life. Painted just about every mill house in Graniteville. He was a painter. I really didn't have a relationship with him other than I remember going to his house on Sunday afternoons and he watched a, a very fascinating television show called Lawrence Welk. <laughs> what kid likes that? Nobody, But anyway, I remember that was on, always on. And of course, I never stayed in the house. I went outside and was playing with the neighbor's dog. But I really believe from what's been told to my mom that um, he had a deathbed confession, expressed faith in Jesus in his dying moments. 
just like this thief on the cross. And Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in where? Y'all remember? Paradise. So the moment the repentant thief breathed his last, I like to think of it this way, he breathed his first breath in heaven. He was with Jesus in paradise, a word of salvation. And then we looked at a word of provision when Jesus was on the cross and talking to somebody this week, an attorney, that had been to Israel and we were just having a good old time reminiscing about Israel um, love this guy um, he's, he likes me he's a Gamecock fan don't hold him hold that against him but he's an attorney that loves Jesus I like that don't y'all and, uh, and we were talking about Israel and he's like right it's changed how I read the Bible because I've, because I've been there he said do you believe that I said absolutely I think it's changed everything about me he's like you know we sing the hymn um, on, about the old rugged cross and up Calvary's mountain he's like you know we really don't think that's where the, the crucifixion took place but it was on street level I'm like yeah yeah I'm with you and, and we were just kind of reminiscing about that so when Jesus was on that cross that particular statement I mean was made within earshot everybody could understand what he was saying and he had a word of provision for his mother and for John so in his dying moments he tells his mom mom you're going to be taken care of John y'all know John John likes to tell everybody hey I'm the disciple Jesus loved well he loved all of them just like he loves me and you but John says I you know I had a special relationship with Jesus and he really did because Jesus said of him John behold your mother mother behold your son and history church history attests that until Mary died, John took her as his own into his home there in, um, most likely in Ephesus, a word of provision. And then the fourth statement Jesus made was a, was a word of suffering. You know, bearing my sins, bearing your sins upon the cross, he's quoting Psalms 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this morning, I want us to look at um, the next two statements, if you will, and really the latter statement that Jesus made I call it a word of completion so I hope you got your Bibles open to John chapter 19 and let's read beginning at verse 28 here's what the Bible says after this Jesus knowing that all was now finished said to fulfill scripture so he's not just up there blabbering he's, he's everything he did was for a purpose and he's fulfilling scripture even while he's on the cross he says I thirst and a jar full of sour wine stood there so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth and when Jesus had received the sour wine he said it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit would you pray with me father um, thank you for your word today lord I pray that um that you will do what only you can do would you be our teacher this morning uh, would you speak to those that are here? May every man, woman, boy, and girl, whether they're here in this building, in this room, or whether they're watching us online, may they hear from you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said amen. Amen. A word of provision Jesus made and then this particular word as well. He says the fifth statement, I am thirsty. And while that's important, I really want to skip over that. He's like, why are you skipping over it? Pastoral privilege, all right? I just really want to. I'm, Robert likes that. I liked it as well. But I really want to focus on that sixth statement this morning. It is finished. It's like, why? I, I, I don't know. It's just how God led me. Could I preach something about Jesus is saying I'm thirsty? Absolutely. But I really just feel like God wants us to focus on this sixth statement he made. It is finished. That word finished means exactly what you think it means. 
It means to bring to a close, to bring to an end, to complete, to fulfill. And it's a word that's used in a variety of ways in Scripture. Let me just share some of them with you. Matthew 11, verse word, Matthew 11, verse 1, rather, that word is translated as finished. In Matthew 17, 24, the word it is finished means to make a payment or, or to pay for something. In Luke 2, 39, it's translated as performed. And there again in Luke 18, 31, it is translated as accomplished. Regardless of how it's used or regardless of what word it's used in the Greek there, whenever you use this particular word or see it, it means it is finished. But what does it mean for us today? Well, here's what it means for you and for me today, gathered in this place today. What it means for us is that Jesus has paid it all. He has paid my ransom. He's paid your ransom so that you and I might be saved. It means that he's accomplished everything God the Father has sent God the Son to do. It also means that he has died an atoning sacrifice for mankind. It is what? Finished. Victories achieved. Mission accomplished. So as we think about these words of our Savior, I want you to think about the following things that Jesus accomplished when he was on the cross, dying there for me and for you. First, the suffering of Jesus was finished. No longer was he going to suffer anymore. Think about, you might not even want to think about, but just think about just for a little bit all the suffering that Jesus endured for you and for me. He went through the betrayal by the, the ones closest to him there in the garden. He went through the mockery of the trials of the Jews that should have received him and they should have recognized him. This is our long awaited Messiah, but yet there again, they rejected him. He endured being spat upon and struck by guards. I just can't believe that. I mean, don't answer. Can you even imagine somebody spitting at you or you doing that to them? And yet that was done to Jesus? He went through that for you he endured the dreaded scourging by the cat of nine tails uh, that whip that has shards of glass and pottery in there that just embedded itself in his flesh and when that whip was taken out it ripped out flesh and muscle with him he went through that he endured the crown of thorns that was I don't it wasn't just laid upon his scalp, pushed in there y'all ever had a head wound or seen a head wound there's a lot of blood I remember when John, my youngest boy, we were about to go on vacation. It seemed like for two years in a row, every time we were about to go on vacation, he was the one that cracked his head open for one reason or another. He had one of those little Jeep, Jeep battery-powered toys, the coolest thing. I wish those things existed when I was little. Mine was pedals. You had a pedal. But I did have a Jaguar that was a pedal car. That was kind of unique. I don't know where Mama got that from. But John had a Jeep. And you push your pedal down there, and that little battery would, would make those wheels go. And for some reason, one of the things that he tried to do was ride over a basketball. Why did he do that? I don't know. He's taking after his mama. I just don't know. And when he tried to do that, uh, the thing went up. The battery came out, hit him on his forehead. We had blood everywhere. I thought, good gosh, what's wrong with him? We were going to the beach. Thank the Lord for Christian doctors that you have on your cell phone that you can say, hey, guess what? When the crown of thorns was put upon Jesus... You can just imagine all the blood. He endured that for us. He endured being dressed with all those lacerations on his body and a scarlet robe was put upon him and, and everybody mocked him. He endured carrying that cross up to Calvary. He endured having his hands and his feet nailed to the cross where for six hours he was just struggling to catch a breath. 
And have you noticed at the very end, as the end draws nigh, it's like all of his statements get shorter and shorter. This is just three words he says here that we're focusing on. It is finished. Very short. Uh, not, not a long epistle, is it? It's very, very short what he said. It is finished. And I'm I just kind of thinking the way I am that he took all the energy that he could muster as a man who was going through all that he was going through. And he said those words so that everybody around could hear that it is finished. Jesus paid it all. No more physical suffering, no more emotional suffering, no more mental suffering, no more spiritual suffering. It was all over. Never again would anyone spit in his face. Never again would anyone cause him pain. It was all over. It was finished. And I want you to see that. When he said it was finished, the suffering of Jesus on that cross was finished. But then notice with me the purpose of the incarnation. That was finished as well. The incarnation is when God came to earth as man it's what we celebrate at christmas don't you love christmas be here before you know it and the older you get the faster it gets here but that's what we celebrate at christmas and and, and the incarnation the incarnation is the signature difference between christianity and all the other religions all the other religions the essential difference is this every other religion is about getting man to god but with the incarnation and the doctrine of the incarnation it's about it's about god coming down to man if you ever wonder how much he loves you, you can look at the incarnation event and you can definitely look at the cross. He came for you. <laughs> you know, the Bible says that we can't work our way up to God. Other religions say that you can do that, but, but not Christianity. You cannot work your way. My Bible says you cannot work your way up to God. My Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags up to God. It doesn't matter how much you use Tide or whatever the laundry detergent you use, you're still gonna be dirty because of your sin we can't go to church enough to get to heaven you can't read your bible enough to get to heaven you can't walk the aisle enough to get to heaven you can't join the church in this church or that church enough to get to heaven going through rituals won't get you into heaven but if you come to jesus in a true and humble and repentant state believing that he is all you need and you put all of your faith in him and you repent of your sins that is when you are born again Oh, I'm listening to David Jeremiah. He sees the guy I listen to probably more than anybody driving up to church this morning. I was listening to yet another sermon. How about that? I, this is my third sermon today. Great time of day. But I'm giving this one, right? But listen to David Jeremiah. He said this, and I thought, man, I've got this in my notes today. Born once, you die twice. I remember it. Born twice, you die once. I tell you, when I heard David Jeremiah say that, I thought, man, I'm, that's pretty, I'm on the same track David Jeremiah's on. But being born again, the Bible says that when Jesus is on the cross and when he said, it is finished, the purpose of the incarnation was finished too. Have y'all ever asked yourselves questions like this? Why did Jesus come to earth? You know, some people say that he came to give us an example by which to live. And can I just tell you, there's no other person by which you need to model your life after other than Jesus. He's a great example. Some say that he came to, to give us just great moral teachings, and, and that he did. Sermon on the Mount, wow, greatest sermon to ever be preached. And Jesus did it. Some say, well, he's just a great moral teacher. Well, he is a great teacher, but he's more than a teacher, right? Right, okay. He's the only one who's ever been born for the sole purpose of dying. You know, he, he didn't come to give us a new religion. He didn't come just to give us a godlike example. He didn't come just because of his superior philosophical teachings. He didn't come just to heal the sick and to raise the dead. He didn't come just to take care of our social and our material needs. And by the way, that's what the health, wealth, and 
uh, all that other stuff, that's what those guys teach. Some of them do the prosperity gospel, if you will. Jesus knew that your greatest need and my greatest need was a spiritual need, so he came to die as our atoning sacrifice so that you and I might be able to go to a place called heaven. Jesus said it this way over in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I remember the old story about Zacchaeus, don't you? I think I remember that from being just a little kid in, in church. But when the day that Zacchaeus was saved, Jesus said over in Luke 19, 10, these words. In fact, why don't you say it with me? For even the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost yeah that was his purpose that's why that's why jesus came he came to save people like zacchaeus came to save people like you and me paul writes about it over in galatians chapter 4 verses 4 and 5 he says but when the fullness of time had come god sent forth his son born a woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons so jesus was born to redeem you Jesus was born to save you. Jesus was born to die on the cross for you. From the foundation of the world, the Bible teaches that Jesus is the Lamb of God who was slain. Hey, here's a good word. At least it's a good word for me. Before sin was in your heart, forgiveness was in his. He wants to forgive you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. And that's the purpose of the incarnation. But not only that, just notice with me number three. The mission of the Father was finished. I mean, just from the get-go, Jesus was on mission. All the way to the cross, Jesus was on mission, if you will. When Adam and Eve sinned, God knew the only way for mankind to be redeemed was going by way of the cross. Religion couldn't fix us. <laughs> Man can't fix this. We've been trying that all the time, haven't we, in Washington? Has that worked out? Not really. But Jesus can fix this. And he went on the mission trip of all mission trips. He, he went to the cross for us. I remember when we were, or we, me and some pastors, were in Caesarea Philippi, which is where Jesus, and I showed you some slides about that a couple of weeks ago. When Jesus was there, he asked the question, who do, you, who do people say that I am? And, and he's saying that knowing full well what people are saying. But he asked those nearest to him, who, who are people saying that I am? And they're saying, well, they're, they're saying all sorts of things. But Peter makes this bold declaration, but you're the Christ. Y'all remember that? The son of the living God. Some people have suggested that Jesus was having an identity crisis by saying, who do people say that I am? I'll never forget. I thought it was funny as I'll get out. Watching a presidential, vice presidential debate many years ago when one of the vice presidential candidates opened up trying to be funny, who am I? Why am I here? Y'all remember that? Like he was going to get my vote after saying that. I thought, man, he's out there somewhere. But Jesus knows exactly who he is. He just fed 5,000 people and he's on mission. In fact, I like to think of it this way. I think he was on mission from the time that he was even 12. Y'all remember that story? Great story when, when his parents left him there in Jerusalem and, and when they came back because they realized he wasn't with any of their family where do they find him that he's not at the Starbucks there in Jerusalem he's not at Hardee's 
He's, he's there at the synagogue, and he's holding his own. In fact, he's winning the day against all the religious leaders that were there. And when his parents got there, they were just amazed, and they said, why weren't you with us? And this 12-year-old, who thinks like this as a 12-year-old kid, he says, don't you know I must be about my father's business? How in the world did he say that? I kind of like to think he said it that way. Don't you must know, mother, father, that I must be about my father's business? He's in the father's house doing the father's business from the get-go, he was on mission. He knew that God the Father had sent him. I love this verse, and I know you do as well. Over in John 3:16, we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Not just people that look like us. He loves the world. And that's his mission statement. I've come to accomplish the will of God. We read over in John 6, verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So he came to accomplish the Father's mission. And right before he died, he prayed this prayer, even making the very cross, if you will, his prayer closet. This is what he said over in John 17. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished, having finished the work, Father, that you gave me to do. And now will you glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world even existed? That's just the way that I think Jesus is saying it's completed. The work he wanted me to do is, is finished, is, is done. The mission is finished. Hey, here's, here's another truth we see in Scripture, and that is that the power of Satan is finished as well. Hey, aren't you glad Satan's defeated? Amen. Oh, y'all gonna do, aren't you glad Satan's defeated? Amen. I, he, he's a defeated foe. Your adversary is defeated. I mean, can I just have fun with the kids that are here? He's, he's a loser. <laughs> he's lost. When Jesus came to earth, I like to think of it this way. He was parachuting behind enemy lines. You're like, well, why, why do you think he was parachuting behind enemy lines? How could you say that? Because it's a verse like this. We know that we're from God and the whole world lies. The whole world. Y'all watch the evening news lately? The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Have y'all ever thought where in the world has all this mess come from? How do we get here? Whatever happened to the leave it to beave it era? I know that's old school, but great day. Doesn't it seem like it was better back then? But hey, it was messed up then too. Y'all know why? Because sin is in the world. Evil's in the world. And, and, and here's why. There again, the Bible tells us the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now, folks, that's bad news. Would y'all agree with me? That is totally bad news. But when Jesus came, he put the devil on notice. It's like Jesus is saying, hey, Satan, you've lost. You're defeated. You're finished. I mean, he's talking trash. Not that Jesus would talk trash, but he's talking trash to Satan. You've already lost this battle. And that's why we have the joy to preach and to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ because there is victory in Jesus. John 12, verses 31 and 33 says these, these words, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people, all people, to myself. Paul wrote about Satan's defeat over in Colossians. A lot of verses today. You say, why do you got so many verses on the screen? Because I think the word of God is powerful. And I want you to see it. 
You might have it open, and I pray you got your Bibles open, but I'm sharing so many scripture passages with you today, not really preaching expositionally through one particular passage, but just giving you a lot of verses. I still think it's powerful for you to see it with your own eyes because there's salvation in the words of Jesus. Paul wrote about Satan's defeat over in Colossians chapter 2, and this is what he wrote. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by counseling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him make no mistake about it when jesus is on the cross it is the ultimate defeat of satan he's lost it's over it's finished we read over in first john 3 verse 8 whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning the reason the son of god appeared was to destroy the works of the devil so when the when the devil reminds you of your past remind him of his future he's done <laughs> he's lost that's worth coming to church for this morning don't y'all agree when he reminds you of your past you just remind him of his future number five y'all with me say amen if you are all right i'm just making sure not it's not time to eat yet so number five the payment of sin was finished as well god paid a ransom for you for you to have your sins forgiven. He paid that for me as well. And the Bible says that every single one of us are all, are all sinners by nature and by choice. And our sin comes with a cost. Our sin is a payment. That's why there's a spiritual, there's a spiritual death. There's a physical death where we're separated from our bodies, but there's a spiritual death where you're separated from God. Don't make the mistake of having the third type of death where you would be eternally separated from God that's the sermon all in itself all all of us are incapable of paying our sin debt so we need a savior who could and who can and the Bible says over in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 these words for there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man the man say it with me church Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. You know, we, you know, Baptists can argue about just about anything, I think, don't y'all? Y'all smile now. And we, I, we can even argue over the word all. Can I tell you what all means? It means all. All means all. I'm so grateful that he went to the cross for somebody like me and for somebody like you. He paid the ransom for us all. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know, it's good to be baptized, but baptism doesn't save you. It's great to be a part of a local church, and, and there's merit to being a part of a local church where you can be held accountable, where you can grow in your faith, grow in your walk with the Lord, but being a part of a church doesn't save you. It's great to take part in the Lord's Supper or communion, but taking communion or taking the Lord's Supper doesn't save you. I heard about a pastor that asked a lady one day, have you received Christ? And she said, every Sunday, preacher. And he's like, no, 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 no. He said, man, with all due respect, that's just bread. <laughs> you need the bread of life. He's the only one that can give you of all of your sins. 
Taking taking communion every Sunday doesn't save you. Keeping the Ten Commandments won't save you either. And there again, uh, living a good life won't save you. you. You can't be good enough to earn salvation on your own. But Jesus is the only one because he's the only one that can say it is finished. The mission is accomplished. It's paid for. Don't y'all like it when things are paid for? Oh, I love it when I'm out to eat somewhere and the waiter or waitress comes to me when I'm about to pay my bill and she says, somebody's got your ticket. Somebody's paid for your bill. And I say, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Oh, and then I look at Tina and I said, I knew I should have got dessert. And see, she's not close enough to pat my belly. She looks at my belly and she goes, you don't need dessert. And I say, bless her, Lord, bless her. Great time of day, bless her. Anyway, he paid for us. Number six, our separation from God is finished. We read in Matthew 27, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. Matthew 27, verse 50. I'm so grateful for people like you that live in light of eternity and you want to bring somebody else along with you. And you invest as a Sunday school teacher in adults that are in your class. You prepare a lesson for during the week. Hopefully they've read the lesson during the week and they're ready to talk about what God's done in their life. Um, I'm so thankful for those of you that work with our children's ministry and our youth ministry. But can, can I just tell you, no preacher, no teacher, no priest, no denomination can get you into heaven. Only Jesus can get you into heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. He is the door. And I want you to know, he will open the door for you if you will come to him in repentance and faith saying, I need to be saved. He wants you to come in. He wants to save you. Our separation from God is finished when Jesus uttered the words, it is finished. And then last but not least, the power of sin is finished as well. And I want you to go back. One of my favorite verses of scripture is found in in the book of Isaiah. And you don't have to turn there because I've got this on the screen as well. But man, talk about entering the holy of holies, if you will. And just think about a verse like this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our inequities, our sins. And upon Jesus was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each and every one of us have turned from his own way and the Lord has laid upon him the inequity. Look here, of us all. I'm so grateful my sin is no longer on me. It's on Jesus. I'm so glad he paid it all, and when he did, he broke the power of sin. Peter said this over in 1 Peter chapter 2. He said, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been what? Healed. The power of sin is finished. Hey, think about this as as I get ready to close. The sixth day of creation, we're going back to Genesis. Sixth day of creation was um, Friday. In Genesis 1, we read about this. And when God looked at all of his created activity, he pronounced that it it was good. It was very good. What day um, did Jesus die on? But he died on a Friday. 
And what do we call that day that he died on? Yeah, good, good. And it was good because Jesus paid it all. And I, and I don't know about you, but in my imagination, for better or for worse, uh, I, I can see him now before the cross. I can see him in the Garden of Gethsemane saying something like this, Father, uh, if it's your will, please take this cup of wrath from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. Just, just take this away. And he comes back a little bit later on, and, and he knows there's no other way for people like us to be with him in a place called heaven. And so he drank the cup of wrath. Bury my sin in yours. And he stayed on that cross until he said for you and for me, it is finished. I want to ask you to bow your head, every head bowed and every eye closed. And let's just get ready to respond to the message today if God's laid upon your heart a decision in which you need to publicly respond I want to give you an opportunity to do that in just a moment but every head bowed every eye closed and as the musicians come to their place Heavenly Father thank you that uh, when you were on the cross the mission was accomplished thank you Heavenly Father that you completed everything God the Father wanted you to do and Lord, thank you that you stayed there. You didn't chicken out. You didn't wimp out. You were a man upon, uh, of all men staying on that cross for, for us. And as you think about that church family, I don't know where you are with your walk with the Lord today. I don't know if you know him as your Lord and Savior, but today I know this. You can receive him as your Lord and Savior. If you would admit that you're a sinner, that if you repent of that sin, you turn, you begin to live for him instead of living for yourself. You put your faith in him and him alone for salvation. He and he alone can save you. And if you never asked Jesus to be your Savior, I want to lead you in a prayer doing that today. And if you sincerely mean this in your heart, Jesus will hear it. Just pray this with me silently. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know, Heavenly Father, that because of my sins, you went to the cross for me. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that today you will hear my prayer. That you will forgive me of my sins. And Lord, as much as I know how I accept your offer of eternal life, Lord, thank you for giving me of my sins. And Lord, it's hard for me to comprehend that you want to forgive me of all of my sins. But Lord, thank you for forgiving me of all my sins and for giving me new life in Jesus. And Lord, from this day forward, help me to walk with you. Still with every head bowed and every eye closed, hey, if you prayed that prayer, when we sing our closing song today, I'd love for you to come down front. Picture of humility. Just come down front and say, hey, Rod, I, I prayed a prayer. Or, or before you leave today, meet me in the foyer and, and tell me that. Because we want to make sure that you're beginning to walk with the Lord. Father, um, I pray for salvation to take place today. I pray, Heavenly Father, that for those that are here that are, are saved, that we just won't go through life with a fire insurance policy against hell we would want to take as many people as possible with us to a place called heaven. Father, move in this place, be it publicly or be it privately, move in our hearts.